Thanks, everyone, for joining for another episode of In the Corner Podcast. I really do appreciate that you're taking time out of your day to listen. Joining me today is current senior and Bengal Bouts president, Dan O'Brien. Dan, it's great to catch up with you today. I appreciate you having me. Happy to be here. There's a lot I want to cover, but I thought it would be great if you could start by giving us an overview of what's the club's fundraising goals for the year and what's the outlook right now? So our fundraising goal for the year is $100,000 uh, that's announced. We, we have, you know, private goals, competitive goals as captains. We've got practice pods fundraising against each other and we're all fundraising against each other constantly. But the club's overall goal, what we're pushing for is $100,000. And we are looking into a couple of different ways that we could chase after that that 100000 To be able to hit that goal this year, perhaps without having a, a tournament, no ticket sales, no ad sales, potentially, that would be quite an accomplishment if you all are able to, to pull that off. And I normally mention this at the end of the podcast, but I'll say it at the outset. We will have, as always, the link to the Mobile Cause page if anyone who listens wants to then go and support their fight to get to $100,000 and beyond. Uh, certainly feel free to, to do that. And, and if you want to make a, a donation in Dan's name to, toward his fundraising goal, that I'm sure that wouldn't make him too upset. Not terribly, no. <laughs> um, so... I would say for this interview, more so than in any interview I've recorded to this point, I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about your boxing journey with a specific focus on how you developed into the skilled boxer you've become. You came into the sport of boxing with a Muay Thai background, which I'm sure had some advantages, but also presented some challenges. What principles did you find the same and what was the biggest adjustment for you? The biggest adjustment was initially just the reduction in offensive weapons that you have. So I went from having, you know, two knees, two legs, two elbows, and two hands that I could throw at people with just two hands. Um, and uh, in hindsight now, I can say with confidence that it's a lot easy to be a novice Muay Thai fighter than a novice boxer because it's very hard to defend, you know, eight different body parts flying at you from different directions. So you can learn like a two or three strike combo in Muay Thai. And one of them's probably going to land. So to deal with that uh, defense in Muay Thai is, is very stationary um, and very solid. You, like you, you block almost everything unless you're at the elite level, because, you know, if you try and slip or pull something and you guess wrong and someone threw a kick instead of an elbow, like there's really nowhere else to go. So, so the biggest adjustment was, not having as many offensive weapons, but the flip side to that was, like I said, the defense in Muay Thai being very static, very stable. Once I got a little bit more advanced in my boxing technique, I realized that there was a lot more nuance to the defense in boxing. So, you know, in, instead of there being one really good way to block a punch in Muay Thai, now I can, you know, slip the punch, roll the punch, catch the punch, block it, pull it, and I can start working defense into my combos in a much more complex way. And that has been immensely satisfying to build up towards and then progress through. 
I do remember going back to your freshman year, holding mitts for you a couple of those few times. There was a time or two where I, I was a little bit worried that I was going to get a calf kick or I was going to get a flying knee. I, uh, I was very grateful that you withheld those offensive weapons during that mitt session. Yeah, it, it definitely, um, it was nice to come in with a combat sports background at all, just because I had some sense for distance. Um, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I had tons of experience. I'd done it for maybe six months to a year before that. Joined a Muay Thai gym in Thailand on a whim. Um, just walked in with no experience at all, thinking that would be a good idea. And it was a great time, but I was definitely uh, light years behind the people who traveled to Thailand to kickbox who were at the gym with me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so for, for all of the advantages it gave, just having a sense of distance, having a sense of, you know, rhythm and pacing for a fight. Plenty of disadvantages too. So I, I'm sure you remember as well, but throwing mitts or holding mitts for me as a freshman, I was completely square. My hips and shoulders and my hands were both, you know, up high above my head instead of being in a more, you know, turn to the side, uh, like with my hips bladed and your hands offset a little bit, traditional European boxing stance. And yeah, I, I think I made that work initially, just built built my entire strategy around like having a, a fairly strong two and stable blocks, which is what I brought from Muay Thai. And then it's been really, really rewarding over the years to add in all of the tools that would have made no sense in Muay Thai, because those have been the hardest for me to develop, mm. like a good lead hook or, or um, you know, rolling punches is immensely satisfying for me now because of how, you know, impossible it was for me as a freshman to even imagine doing. Yeah. I, I would say as far as Notre Dame boxers go, my perspective is that you would fall on the, the regimented or disciplined side of the spectrum as you were beginning this boxing journey uh, and then have continued to progress. What's the best habit you formed as a boxer? Or is there a habit you wish you had formed uh, and that perhaps you'd encourage others to form? A bit of a meta answer and I'll get more specific, but I think the best habit is, is habit. Um, <laughs> Having habits. Uh, I, I tell guys this that I practice with. I did all of last year. I told pretty much everyone that'll listen this year, come up with a plan and stick with it. Uh, and the fact that you stick with it matters more than what the plan is. So like if you're a, a novice boxer, come talk to a captain. We'll help you sketch out a plan. Um, but what matters is that you do it every day. You follow the plan every day. I don't mean train every day. I think the best written plans you do give yourself, you know, a cheat meal now every now and again, or, you know, budget some time for a nap on the weekend. You don't want to be inhumane in your treatment <laughs> of yourself when you're building these plans. But I think the best habit to have when you're training for anything or, or doing, you know, most things, this isn't limited to inside the squared circle. Um, best habit to have is habit. Form habits that make you better than you were yesterday. And if you have those habits and they're, they're real ingrained habits, then there is no limit on, on how far you can progress. And, and you're going to watch a lot of the people who train a lot more manically or a lot more intensely and then fall off in the off season. You're, you're going to watch those people fall by the wayside over the years. If, if you can, you know, you come up with your long-term goal and you say like, so for me last season, it was like, I want to add a three this year. I want, I want to have a good counter hook. Um, and I want to be able to like control distance with my jab instead of just my cross. So that was like my six month goal. And then week to week, I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like everything was regimented. I'd be like doing a round on a heavy bag, throw a combo I hadn't thrown before and 
think, okay, that was, that was kind of nice. And then the next day I just drill that combo. Um, and then, you know, work it into mitts or a spar and see if it was actually viable or if, you know, I was leaving myself wide open for something I hadn't thought of, which happens more often than not. But for every five terrible combos that you come up with, you come up with one that works for you. And if I remember correctly, I think that the three was what officially won you your championship out last year. Uh, my memory is that it was that your your lead hook that uh, caused the knockdown that ended the bout. It, it was, and I can genuinely say that hadn't occurred to me, but that is, if not poetic, pretty close. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I love that answer about the best habit is, is habit. I'm currently reading a book right now by Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, the cartoon, and one of his big messages is, systems over goals when i think about systems to me that's just a collection of habits so i, I just the the timing of your answer it uh, it jives with what i'm reading before i'm going to sleep each night th this week yeah i mean i i could talk pretty much until until you had to stop me about what specific habits you know i've had i've tried i've dropped over the years um a really basic one that i added and liked a lot was just waking up at a consistent time every day it's really well, it's challenging. It's more challenging than it should be as a college student because you have complete flexibility around around your bedtime and what time you wake up. It, it is harder than it should be to wake up at a consistent time because, you know, if, if your friends are up doing something one night, you'll stay up late and you'll still want to get eight hours or, or however long you need to sleep that night and you'll sleep that much. But yeah, I think it was the last training all of my sophomore year and all of my junior year in the weeks leading up to break and then I try and maintain it over break, but definitely the minute I set foot on campus until, yeah, I guess the night of the finals, I got lucky enough both years um, until the night of the finals, I was waking up at eight at like 8 AM. And it didn't really matter what time it was. It was just, but like having a specific time because the big, the big difference for me was it. I knew when I was tired. Mm. Like if you're waking up at different times, your body doesn't know when it should tell you to go to bed, but, you know, there were some days where practice would be super hard and my body would just like start to shut down at like 9.30 p.m. And I'd be like, okay, that's, <laughs> it knows we're waking up at eight. Like that's what we got to do now. Uh, yep. And other days I, I could stay up working or, or, or doing whatever. Um, and it was fine. Sleep and oxygen. I think everyone <laughs> needs more sleep and they need a couple of deep breaths. No, no argument here. You have had tremendous success in the ring. Um, and even though you've had that success, I imagine that there still have been moments where your confidence was not necessarily sky high. Could you share a time that you experienced some form of doubt? I think the most doubt that I have experienced as a part of this program wasn't wasn't in the ring or in anticipation of being in the ring. Uh, it, it's been this year, trying to lead the program through a year of a lot of uncertainty. We're, we're kind of you know, dealing with week by week updates from uh, university health services, uh, student activities office, and all these different organizations that have a say on how and when we can train. Yeah, I, I've, I've been I've been blessed with a, a phenomenal group of, of captains um, to, to, you know, charge through a lot of that uncertainty, a lot of that doubt. But yeah, we, we have had to to double down on what it is that matters about this program this year, because there is a lot of doubt about, you know, our ability to, to, you know, to be frank, to box. Most doubt I ever had in the ring uh, or, or, or in anticipation of a fight 
it, it wasn't, I don't think it didn't start so much in my own head as it did with everyone else, but it was my freshman year before my semifinal fight that I lost to Patty Lawler. Um, I hadn't sparred him ever. And I was like, you know, not confident, but I was like, there's a chance here. And I was, I was feeling okay about it. Um, it wasn't, you know, I didn't feel that it was going to be unwinnable. Um, I wasn't, you know, super optimistic about my chances. I, I wasn't like shooting for the moon, but I, I thought I could, you know, at the very least put on a, a decent show for everyone. Um, and in the week leading up to the fight, I just remember all of the upperclassmen in my dorm who knew him from like whatever other club on campus or, um, you know, different organizations, or they just, you know, bumped into him at, at some sort of social event. I just remember the week leading up, be like, oh, who do you have this week? Oh, Patty Lawler? Oh, he's a monster. And I was like, <laughs> cool. Uh, and a- yeah, actually, the year before in the finals, he would have beaten a Steads guy. And he was, a, at that point, a two-time champ, ended up becoming a, a three-time champ. Sometimes I, I, I think, oh, gosh, how fun would it have been if uh, if senior version of that freshman boxer could then have fought senior version of this other boxer ahead of him? And I think there are quite a few matchups over the years. Looking back, where you think, now that would have been a fun contrast of styles, seeing the mm-hmm. those two multi-year champs at their best. Yeah. No, that's, I've, I've had that thought as well. <laughs> uh, kind of along this theme of doubt or uncertainty, I'd enjoy hearing about your process of mentally preparing for a bout, knowing that while you have a plan, as Mike Tyson famously said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. What was your process to mentally get yourself ready? My, my process preparing for the bouts was less about calming myself down than it was, you know, reminding myself and making sure that I was aware that this is what it had been building up to. So as I'm sure you've observed before, and as as you mentioned in this conversation, I I have a very structured approach to how I train throughout the season. And even throughout the day, I try and keep, you know, the number of rounds that I do consistent so I can, you know, consistently gauge how I feel in that last round and, you know, lots of little things like that. And for me, stepping into the ring has always been, uh, it's just work. Like I don't, I've never had my ego attached to, to my performance in the ring. If I go, if I perform or, well, I'll say this, if I would have won a, won a spar or lose a spar, I'm putting that in air quotes. You really can't win or lose a spar. If you learn, it made no difference to me. And like, I, I forgot about that by the time I stepped back through the ropes it bothered me if I performed poorly in, in a way that like I, I could have fixed, but that had more to do with me than it did about the, the matchup or the overall performance. And that carried over to the tournament uh, as well. Uh, it, it was just work. I never really got super, I, like I was nervous. I'd get butterflies all day when I think about it. But, you know, I, in the back of my head, I always knew that the minute I stepped through the ropes, it was something I'd done a thousand times before. It was no different. Like maybe it was a little bit louder, but it was me and someone across from me and we were going to do what we've been trying to do for months and months and months. So my process in anticipation of, of the bout was just to see if I could squeeze a little bit of extra intensity out of myself, reminding myself that this one mattered. Like I cared about the outcome here. This wasn't like win or lose. This was going to be water off the duck's back. That was a way to get me to that point in the season and to keep progressing and developing as fast as I could. That's just what works for me is to have that approach when I spar. Um, but no, I, I, I think what I've done before every fight starting from when I was a freshman 
was at some point throughout the day, I'd usually, usually around after I ate my last meal before the bout, uh, I would just like wrap my hands, maybe with music on, maybe not spend some time visualizing, but also spend some time reflecting on, like I said, the fact that this, this one counted, this one mattered. Like I, I, I know we've had conversations in the past about, you know, do what you can do. At the end of the day, it's just you and the preparation that you brought into the ring. But yeah, I'd have that little mental conversation to see if I could squeeze a little bit of extra effort, a little bit of extra fight out of myself. To follow up on that, someone who maybe doesn't know you as well as I've had the, the good fortune to get to know you would hear you say it was work and that was your approach. They might wonder, was there no joy in that, in hearing work? Could you talk a little bit about um, yeah. in in that approach of this is work, you derived joy from that. No, I, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't, I enjoy most of the work I do. I, I've been very fortunate to land myself in positions where like on a day-to-day basis, I just enjoy what I'm doing. And even if I don't enjoy what I'm doing in that moment, there's little goals and objectives that I can chase. Um, and, and the same is true of boxing. I love boxing. I don't want to make it sound at all. Like, like I don't like, I love days when I'm signed up for a spar and like, you know, it'll keep my energy up throughout the day, like keep me smiling a little bit extra. I love being in the ring, being in those situations where, you know, very transparently you and your opponent have completely opposite objectives. And it's just a question of like, you know, who prepared better, who executes. I love that. That gives me such a rush and it just keeps me, you know, smiling beforehand and smiling afterwards when I walk into the dining hall. Um, so yeah, I guess something to know about me is when I say it's just work, I, I usually enjoy or find a way to enjoy the work that I'm doing. Yeah, I, I really the point there, I think, was just that I don't it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. So speaking of yeah. structure um, and consistency, if you spar three times a week, you're going to perform well in some you're going to perform poorly in some. Sometimes you're going to land the punches you prepared and sometimes you're not going to have a chance to get a punch off. And, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing exceptional about it, and it's a positive experience as long as you take something away from it. I, mean, I think there's a great larger lesson there, too, that if a person's doing something that they find meaningful, then that work, <laughs> doing work is about as good as you can hope for, um, that it's not anything more than it has to be. It's just not I have to do this, but I get to do this. And I think that's really cool hearing about the way in which you've oftentimes positioned yourself to be doing things where the work is something you look forward to and, and not just a grind. Uh, yeah, I, I've been fortunate. The The last question I have on this topic, specific to kind of your development as a boxer, you have had an experience that a very small percentage of boxers over the years can relate to, and that is being viewed by other members of the club as the best boxer in the program. You had that experience last year where there's this perception out there, whether it's vocalized or not, of, hey, that – that Dan O'Brien guy, I, I think he's the best. Was there extra pressure because of that, or did it change the way you prepared at all? No, no, I, I don't. I don't think in the slightest. I'm, I'm not fully comfortable. I wasn't comfortable thinking that last year or, or hearing that from other people, and I'm still not fully comfortable with that now. There, there's, you know, I, I've, I've always been. <laughs> much more apt to, to focus on the things that I could improve on than the things that I'm doing well, no matter what the, you know, what the ratio is between the two. 
but no, I, I, I've, I've never really measured myself or my progress against other people so much as myself. So, you know, we talked about what, what would happen if, you know, such and such freshman that lost um, could come back and, and fight that person as a senior. I don't know. And it doesn't really keep me up at night, whether or not I would have beaten, you know, Patty Lawler right now. But I know for a fact that as a sophomore, I would have absolutely mopped the floor with myself as a freshman. <laughs> and as a junior, it would have been a mess if he boxed, you know, sophomore me. Um, trying to do the same thing this year, but I, I think preparing for any competition, like I said, where your your goals are completely at odds with your opponents. Anytime you're in that situation, I think you are the most important person prepare in your preparation. And what I, what I mean by that is focus on what you're good on and fix the things that you're not as solid on. Um, and then the night of the competition, you know, your opponent's the most important person in the ring. So bring the preparation you have, but if you try and execute a game plan that your opponent is countering, you know, you're not going to get very far. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to be dismissive, but it, I didn't, it didn't ever really occur to me. I don't like dwell on that or reflect on it because I can tell you for a fact, even just among the other captains that we have, like the, the way that like Lenny rolls or Ryan rolls or the way that Kyle throws uh, straight punches in combination. Like in my head, I have all these things that I could list that, that I want to get to, you know, that point or that level. I want to have that proficiency. Um, and, you know, w- whether or not I think I would win in like one-on-one matchups is just never really, like I said, I don't lose sleep on that. Well, uh, I hope this next part doesn't cause you to to lose any sleep, but going to put you on the hot seat. Going to fire off just a couple of rapid fire questions here. And uh, we'll start with favorite piece of equipment in the boxing gym. Uh, can I pick other people? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Moving live with an opponent. Um, <laughs> if, if, I, if I have to pick something inanimate, uh, heavy bag. If you could uh, ask an animal a question, what would it be? Um, I'd want to know what my dog or other people's dogs just thought was going on most of the time. Like when they got into elevators or cars, what is your favorite word? Favorite word. Oh man. I have no idea. Uh, what, what was your favorite birthday so far and why? Favorite birthday. Um, I remember 13. I don't really remember why I remember 13. I just remember thinking like it was a big deal to be a teenager and went out to dinner with my family and had a pleasant time. Uh, best class you took at Notre Dame? Uh, toss up between my junior and senior seminars um, with Professor Rosado in international relations theory. And final one, not sure if you're much of a Harry Potter fan, but I'll ask anyway, which Hogwarts house would the sorting hat put you in? Uh, I, I think I'd be a toss-up between uh, Slytherin and Gryffindor because I am plenty capable of, of being bold or whatever else that gets you into Slytherin. I'm also very comfortable being disagreeable. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, uh, I would have been shocked, like, truly shocked, if you said Hufflepuff for that answer. I would really have questioned if you I, – I, that, that would have stunned me. I, I think I'm just a little loud for Hufflepuff. <laughs> Uh, uh, we we spent a good bit of time on your development as a boxer, but I'd like to transition back to, to something you touched on earlier, and that's about 
what it's like being president during a season like this one and how you've attempted to lead in the midst of such uncertainty. Could you walk us through how you and the other captains have approached this and attempted to to make this season still really meaningful for the guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how I think about my role this season, uh, as opposed to last season, as opposed to um, when I didn't have any leadership role in the program. Last season, as a captain, my goal was to get as many people to develop as quickly as possible. You know, pick kids and work with them after practice, before practice, get them to develop specific combinations, let them know where they're lacking and, and let them know what, what they're good at. So they can, you know, plan around that in their preparation for spars or, or for bouts in the tournament. This year, my goal has been to get as many captains and as many upperclassmen in the program in a position to do the goal that I had as a, as a, as a captain last year, which was to develop and improve as many people. We talked about, you know, you, you mentioned structure. My goal this year has been to try and build a structure that allows as many people to have a meaningful experience in this program as possible. And what is a meaningful experience depends entirely on the person, entirely what they want out of the program. Um, but what the captains and I, again, speaking a little bit for the group here, what we find meaningful is our ability to fundraise for the Holy Cross missions and our ability to, you know, work out together and develop boxing skill as a program. Uh, and so to that end, we've been mostly virtual, um, especially over winter break. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we haven't been allowed to start in-person practices yet. Those are supposed to kick off next week, but we've been virtual this semester so far. And in thinking about leading virtual practices, especially uh, the tone that we set in leading that practice is you really can't overstate its importance. And that's, <laughs> that's not limited to, uh, to, to boxing practices or anything physical, um, especially when you're virtual, you do need to go, I think a little bit farther if you're in control um, to keep people engaged. Like that's true in the classrooms. That's true in meetings. Uh, and that's true for us in practice. So yeah, I, not, not to be facetious, but just at attitude, coming in with the right attitude, with intensity, encouraging guys to keep their cameras on, you know, not, not that we're really going to be checking up on them so much as just, you know, the extra accountability that that gives that you otherwise would be missing out on if you were, you know, doing virtual practices and, you know, you got tired and you just went into another room to get water, but doing everything we can to mimic, to, to recreate all the elements of practices that we think are important um, in, in any regular season. And, you know, to us, that's at a very basic level, just the fact that you're working out next to someone and, you know, he's doing what you're doing. Uh, whether or not you enjoy it, it's easier to go through a couple minutes of burpees if you know, or, or you can see rather, or you're aware of the fact that everyone else is doing the exact same thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you love boxing. Boxing has clearly made a big impact on your life. What lessons from boxing have you applied to life outside of the boxing gym? I think I mentioned this already, but focusing on yourself as, as the most important as the most important person in preparation for something, not in an egotistical way. Frankly, it's 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 humbling if, if you do it right, um, because you end up, like I said, being very, very aware of all the things you're doing wrong, maybe disproportionately so, um, even if you're doing a lot of things right. But preparing uh, yourself in a way that is tailored to you and keeping yourself accountable and consistent in preparation. Uh, and then when it comes to actually perform, 
or to execute, um, remembering that you were the least important person in the ring. And yeah, I, I can say concretely that I've taken that approach to, you know, meetings that I had in, in, in internships. You know, if I had to make a presentation, I'm going to prepare that presentation in the way that suits my communication style that I can, you know, feel confident about as I'm navigating through. But then when it comes to the day of, if someone asks a question that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, I would be completely wrong if I didn't, you know, take it in the direction that they wanted to take it. So striking a balance between, you know, building yourself up in preparation for, for anything, um, but then remembering that it, it's not about you when it comes to, uh, when it comes game time. Hmm. Relatedly somewhat, I'm guessing that your Bengal bouts experience has influenced to some extent your future career plans. Could you share what your plans are for post-graduation and what role, if any, Bengal Bouts had in that discernment process? Sure, sure. I um, This past summer, I graduated in, yeah, OCC class 235 from Officer Candidate School for the Marine Corps. So I spent, you know, 10 weeks in summer camp getting yelled at in the swamp and had an absolute blast. I, I say that without any irony. It was definitely unpleasant, but I had a phenomenal time. And then in... August or September of this coming uh, this coming summer, I'll be shipping to PBS, uh, which is the basic school for Marine Corps officers for six months of infantry training. I don't know how aware I am of the role that Bengal Bouts played in the discernment process. Uh, I, I'm, I have full confidence that it did, um, whether that's just putting me around people who like to compete um, and people who like, you know, perfection and, and for people to perform under pressure. Like there's there's a ton of elements that, that I'm sure subconsciously influence me, but a, a very concrete impact that I could speak about at length would just be the chance that Bengal Bouts has given me to stand in front of a room of people and, and tell them what the plan is. It, it sounds like a very, very basic thing to do, but it was very, very clear this past summer, the people who had done that before and the people who had and it really just came down to experience. Um, like, could you could you hold people's attention? You can overcome a little bit of that just by, you know, yelling louder. And there was definitely a lot of yelling louder this past summer. Um, the Marines love that. But the people who did it well, and I'm not talking about myself here, but the people that I remember, and when I say the, the people, the, the other candidates like me, because, you know, you don't know that you're going to graduate until the very last day um, or, or a day or two before where, you know, you get your little Eagle Globe and anchor insignia and, and that basically says like they have confidence in your ability. You got their little stamp of approval and, and you're headed to graduation. But up until that day, you really don't know. And the other candidates uh, throughout the summer were in, you know, different levels of, of authority. Some of them harder than others. Um, you'd be in charge of, you know, your entire platoon of 70 guys and getting them somewhere on time. And then there'd be other, you know, candidates in positions of authority under you and you'd have to delegate to them. But like I said, it was very, very clear the people who had to stand up in front of a group of 70, like hard charging, sleep deprived, <laughs> just generally uncomfortable young men. Um, it, it was very clear the people who could, you know, hold their attention at, at a very basic level and the people who couldn't. You could kind of, like I said, you could yell to get around some of it and just dial up the intensity. But uh, the people who did it best spoke, you know, at a volume just loud enough that the people in the back could hear them and nothing more. And I was very fortunate in all of last year's Bengal Bout season to, you know, to, to run the workout or, or to run technique. And like I said, just get the reps in of standing in front of a room 
of, you know, 50 to hundred people saying, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Does anyone have any questions? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, it's a different type of environment um, than, you know, giving a presentation in class or, or interviewing for a job, like holding people's attention when, you know, they don't have to give you their attention um, and communicating clearly is something that I don't know if I would have had, um, at least not to the same extent without Bengal bouts. And that's, yeah, that's without mentioning at all the ability to perform under pressure, which is obviously <laughs> a fairly important part of the job. And that's been something that I enjoy developing in the ring. It is just composure. Like I've, I've always admired defensively skilled fighters and counterpunchers and their ability to, you know, to stand right in front of somebody and not get hit. Um, and to be perfectly calm when they do it, but to be in control without just, you know, you know, I, to make a parallel here without dialing up the intensity all the way, like it's easy to not get hit if you just throw punches continuously because the other guy's going to have to deal with that somehow, but the ability to defend yourself without offense and just do only enough, just do exactly what you need to do and do so calmly. That's been something that, you know, really flipped the switch for me. Like I love this sport when I realized that, you know, I could get to that point where I could throw a couple of slips or, or move out of the way of punches uh, and, and be calm while I was doing it. And then remembering back like my first couple spars and it was like every jab someone threw the world was about to end. As you were speaking, I couldn't also help but think of that element that you would have had as a captain and getting to work corners for people where when others were experiencing that intense pressure or feeling a little bit uncertain of looking and saying like, what do I do? tell me the plan. Um, what do I need to go out there and execute in this moment of uncertainty for me? And certainly that's quite the privilege being in that opportunity to be there, to be that person uh, for that freshman in his first bout, who's feeling a little bit overwhelmed to be that guy that they're turning to and say, um, I gotcha. Here's what you need to do. Go do it to the best of your ability. Absolutely. I think they're probably there yeah, the, for the, the type of work that you're, you're going to, to be doing, Bengal bouts probably <laughs> provided more opportunities than one would initially surmise. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and good for you. Good for, good for our country that people like you are, are going to be serving. So, and I think about it, other Bengal bouts guys too, uh, Evan certainly being one of those, uh, Montana Giordano, uh, mm -hmm. Bengal bouts has produced some really, really wonderful people who I think a lot of people would be really, really proud to know that, uh, folks of that caliber are, serving and protecting our country. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I bumped into Evan. Well, I didn't bump into him. I saw him <laughs> running from across the base one time this past summer. We overlapped for two or three weeks of training um, at Quantico. And yeah, I just, I, he, they were running a, uh, a fitness test. So like three mile run. Um, and I just remember seeing it like everyone, obviously everyone's dressed the same. Everyone has the same haircut. And we were doing our own PT um, on this field and this, the other platoon starts running by and I remember like, I'm pretty sure that's Evan. And then I turned the corner. I was like, that's Evan. It's not like I could get up and wave or anything. I would have gotten absolutely smoked for that. But, yeah. Uh, um, before we get to the final round, got one question that uh, I'm sure you've gotten quite a bit this year and, uh, or one that you've been thinking about. If you could give one piece of advice to someone new to the club or who's considering joining, what would it be? Um, Week two, plan, plan around week two. No one enjoys week one. I, I, I said this last year, 
but I think I, I don't even know if this is a a, a, a hot take or not, but I, I don't think that upperclassmen boxers, especially like senior captains, um, should get credit for their bravery in boxing. Like I said, if, if you've done it like for the last three years, you've been to three tournaments, you've been sparring for three seasons now, it's not brave of you to show up for the tournament. And then I'm not being dismissive of, you know, the courage it takes to sign up and train throughout the season and, and, you know, put it on the line in front of, you know, a lot of your really close friends and potentially some family, extended family, whoever's watching the stream. Um, I, I don't mean to be dismissive of that. I just mean in comparison to a freshman showing up for their first week of practice, that's terrifying. And I remember, like I said, I, I walked into a Muay Thai gym in Thailand and I was just, absolutely had no idea what I was doing. Like I remember my leg shaking. It was just not like I was, it was something I wanted to do and it was exciting, but yeah, completely different type of, of, of fear than you get like the little butterflies in advance of a fight. So I, I give massive credit to, to freshmen just for coming out. It, it's a, it's an unorthodox skill um, that we, that we train uh, in this program and it, you know, for better or for worse, it ends up being a somewhat unorthodox uh, group of people who want to train uh, in that skill. So the courage to come out, to show up. And like I said, uh, not on day one. That's that's not where it takes, you know, real bravery. It's show up for day two, show up for week two. If you don't like it after two or three weeks, then Godspeed. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. I'm not hurt over that. If it's not something you want to do, it's not something you want to spend your time on. I totally understand. And And that's not to say that you know, they're any worse for it, or I think any less of them. It's just not, I don't want to say it's not for everyone because that I don't, I don't want to sound elitist about it, but it's just, you know, people like different things. And, and if you think your time would be better spent elsewhere on something you're more passionate about, like go do that, but show up for week two, show up for day two. And remember that, you know, even if no one's saying it, that there's other people who are in that position and everyone else in the room has been in that position at least once. So you're you're in good company. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the greatest things about Bengobots. Just you are always in great company, which sets up nicely for final staple of the podcast. Two shout outs that you'd like to give for folks who've been a big part of your, your Bengobots journey. I would shout you out, but that feels a little self-serving. Um, <laughs> just know that I would. Um, two, two boxers that I remember a lot, um, you know, when I, when I was the one that was scared to show up for week two, Pat Gordon, my freshman year, and Jack McDermott, my, my sophomore year, those were the two guys that I held up and said, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass that. that. That was my goal. And, you know, we talked about, like, composure when you're defending yourself. That was Pat Gordon. Another big goal of mine has been, like, staying calm on your offense and, you know, punching precisely and mixing up the amount of power on your shots. And that was Jack McDermott. And those are, they're very concrete skills that I've tried to mimic that I remember, you know, watching, I'd spar and then I'd, you know, my spar would end and I'm supposed to go back to practice, but I'd see one of them get in the ring and I'd like kind of walk real slow out of the pit um, just to see like a round or so. So yeah, those two guys. But I, I think the biggest shout out for me this year is, is I mentioned this already that uh, the other captains, you know, you talk about attitude, you talk about setting the tone of the practices. I have been lucky to work with them. And I think the program is incredibly lucky to have the group that it has right now. They're some of the most dedicated people that I've worked with in, you know, in any capacity, but bar none, you know, in the bouts, outside of bouts, everywhere. 
and yeah, I, I mentioned this to you offline, but they're, they're a group who does all the right things um, in all the right ways all the time. And it's, yeah, it's hard to go wrong. I, I'm, like I said, I'm aware of all my shortcomings and, and I'm sure there's plenty more that I could be doing as president, but they're making me look a lot better and they're making the program look good. I, I do think it's important to point out that uh, you as a Southpaw chose to identify by name two Southpaw boxers as well. I'm sure that was that was no accident that you awful lefties stick together. Hey, those are those are two guys that made being lefty look good. Made me feel a little better about myself. <laughs> uh, um, well, Dan, it has uh, been a pleasure getting a chance to to catch up to hear the insights that you've had to share. As Dan mentioned at the beginning, the goal this year hundred thousand uh, dollars, which just goes so so far for the work that the Holy Cross missions in Bangladesh do. So if, uh, if people are inclined to support, we'll have that link up uh, as always. And, and Dan, thanks so much for making time. Really, really grateful. It's great to catch up. All right. Until next time. He is the boxer.